Welcome back, everybody. This is the second installment in the series, and I'm titling this one Eating as Nature's Currency. So I'm not aware of anyone else using this phrase, so after I've explained it, I do hope that it's a useful concept um, and that it'll help get across a little bit of of how we approach what we do and by understanding a little bit more of how nature works. Last podcast, we contrasted the two paradigms, one of extraction versus the sustainable and regenerative agriculture. And I find it useful to, to, in in order to explain what you're going after, it's often useful to critique um, what you're not. And the critique of, of the last podcast was of the industrial modern huge agriculture of the day. This podcast, I'll probably get myself in trouble, but it's going to be somewhat of a critique of the thought process that goes into vegetarianism or veganism. Before I really get going here, I wanted to read a quote from Michael Pollan um, to sort of set the tone of of what I want to get across. And uh, if I remember right, um, this is from The Omnivore's Dilemma. He writes, we've been telling ourselves such stories of man and nature forever as a way of making sense of what we call our quote-unquote relationship to nature. To borrow that curious, revealing phrase, what other species can be said to have a relationship with nature? For a long time now, the man in these stories has gazed at nature across a gulf of awe or mystery or shame. Even when the tenor of these narratives changes, as it has over time, the gulf remains. There's the old heroic story where man is at war with nature, the romantic version where man merges spiritually with nature, usually with some help from the pathetic fallacy, and more recently, the environmental morality tale in which nature pays man back for his transgressions, usually in the coin of disaster. Three different narratives, at least, yet all of them share a premise we know to be false, but can't seem to shake that we somehow stand outside or apart from nature. Get back to the phrase, eating as nature's currency. That came, um, I wrote that in an essay. It was in the context of, well, it was an essay to defend the ethics of eating meat. And when I first approached it, I really thought, the whole idea was absurd that you would have to even defend that. But I, thinking about it, um, I really began to realize that we, as a, as as a civilization, almost almost we have a very schizophrenic posture towards nature, and I think that this is only within the context of such schizophrenia could we even pose the question whether it would be ethical to eat meat because everything I knew about nature was about eating and eating each other and so I came up with a with the phrase the currency nature's currency it was another way to describe um, why or what's going on when it seems that in order to go up the food chain there was always an explosion of well of complexity but that always there was always a return to if uh, the level below so if you have plankton or if you have the plants and they were being eaten by herbivores it was there wasn't a return 
of, of and there was a, consequently an explosion within the within the plant world, particularly because of, of the soil and what the manure was doing to the soil. But this is again goes back to an interrelated um, understanding of how the world works. So if the, if nature is dependent and is is healthy by diversity, it's it's not just a a diversity of species or diversity. It's a diversity of systems, and so each system, each each animal can be considered as a system. So the the plant goes through the herbivore, and then the herbivore goes eats the plants it goes within the system if it's a ruminant you have an entire entire complex ecosystem inside and then they all that bacteria and fermentation going on um, not only um, feeds the cow but or whatever ruminant it is but then there's a return of manure to the earth and then of course there's the explosion of of the soil and the the plants are you know could grow and i think that's um to to use the word currency was is a way to sort of think of of this as maybe um an investment so if a plant is giving part part of it up to go to the to the herbivore in the end there will be a huge return on that investment and um soil will develop and there will be a huge explosion in in the diversity of species of plants itself and i th think that unfortunately science and ecology became extra aware of this when um under when we saw the lack of well what what they call keystone species um just off the top of my head i th i can think of the the two best known ones were the otter the sea otters who eat the urchins who are um who were eating the kelp and so they keep the kelp healthy um but for my purposes i the 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 wolf and the ungulate relationship is really important. So when they had, I think it was a Yellowstone Park, or it could be other parks as well, where they allowed the wolf to come back, um, they thought of this just directly as a way to, one, get the wolf back, but they were expecting to see very direct consequences on the deer and the ungulate population. What they weren't quite prepared for, though, was the explosion of health uh, of the riparian systems. So suddenly, these rivers were coming back to life. And they had to sort of backtrack. And in hindsight, it's a little bit like, duh. But um, just to spell it out, so the deer or whatever ungulate it was were were not in they're not the same type of um herd animal that buffaloes or zebras are and they're a little bit more territorial they stay in the same place and um, without any sort of predator pressure um they were hanging around uh, usually around the water because that was <laughs> maybe a social place like the bar i don't know but um, it was an easy place to get water. It also, you would hang around there and then you just eat the plant and the vegetation right around there. So 
um, a real healthy river riparian system has got quite a bit of vegetation from big sage, uh, well not sage, but um, big sort of um, brush there and then you have trees and you have quite a lot of vegetation that holds the banks, it keeps from erosion. It also, I think, provides a huge habitat for, uh, you know, frogs, salamanders, insects, birds, all this stuff. It's a, it's a, a very fertile place and for an entire ecosystem there. But with the deer and the ungulates hanging out there too much, they were keeping that vegetation down. So rather than just being a direct um, control of population, there was a behavior mod um, modification. And so when when you go to the water, of course, from any hunter, whether human or wolf or lion or whatever, the, the water holes and the water, you know, places um, are great places to hunt and to find um, your prey as everyone needs water. And so the deer quickly relearn that you just don't hang around there. You might go and get your, you know, very necessary drink, but that wasn't necessarily a safe place to hang around. And therefore they did not um, eat too much of the vegetation and they would move on from there. And so that was a, a, an important an important fact that we, we realized that these keystone species of the very top of the chain was so essential in keeping the whole ecosystem healthy all the way down to, to the health of the, of the river and the water, which was um, unexpected at the time. I think there's much disagreement that um, that the health of an ecosystem is is dependent on diversity, and um, that there's these all these systems that are interrelating and and um, interwoven, and that homeostasis is is dependent on on these systems interacting, and there's got to be some sort of feedback loop, and in this. And in nature, I think that the 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 main feedback loop is is basically eating, and um, whether you're whether you're the predator and you're eating meat, or you're even um, the bacteria inside of an intestine, and you're absorbing nutrients from what an herbivore or a predator or whatever has eaten. So it gets a lot messier than just going up the food chain, or uh, as we understand it, because there's just systems interwoven at all these different levels, and each one is is interrelating with other systems and. And at each level of this, there is a consumption, and there's a um, whether it's you know eating with teeth and and tongue, or if it's just an absorbing uh, of nutrients at a very micro bio, you know micro level. So another way to put this is to say that eating is our primary mode of interacting with with systems and this is something that we do every day and most of us do it multiple times a day and we choose which system to interact with and we can be interacting and giving a feedback loop to a um, an extraction model and an industrial model or we could be um, or sustainable model or in 
in the case, I did say this was going to be a critique of vegeta uh, vegetarianism or veganism. I also think that they um, there needs to be attention to what system you are participating in if you refuse to eat meat. Like there are many good reasons to be vegetarian, and oftentimes you don't have an option of meat that is anyway ethical or even. Um, healthy or good for the environment. But in our case, I have plenty of people here. Uh, we live in an area where um, pasture is abundant and healthy local meat is available and, uh, and, and, and affordable for the most part. Um, and yet people will choose to be eating coconuts and coconut oil from uh, you know, from the tropics, and they're going to get, you know, their organic asparagus from uh, from Argentina. I don't know. I mean, but it could, this whole idea that, um, well, it's very difficult to get all your nutrients and all your amino acids. Um, you're certainly not going to get them from enough plants in this area where we are at. And so you are left with with trying to get the appropriate nutrients from from systems very far away from where we are. Um, and obviously, we will always, um, you know, be getting eating some and, and participating in systems from other places uh, far from being local. We are we are living in a very small world where things are from all over the globe are very available. But in the case of eating, where this is something you're doing every day, if, if a significant portion of that can be um, connecting you to systems that are local, then suddenly you are participating in that richness of the ecology um, of the nature that is, that is here. There's also a very strong argument that that makes the case that especially for like heritage breed or or animals that we're um, afraid of losing the genetics if we um, simply by plugging into the man man's economic system um, there's the saying if you don't eat them we'll lose them and it's very uh, real thing that if a farmer can't raise and make money and sell for people to eat um, there's really these these genetics and these species are going to die out but i want i want to push beyond just things that we're missing out on um, because i think there's a, a darker side and even more dangerous um uh, side effect that can happen when we refuse to eat and, and participate in the systems um, that are all around us. And I think that this basically is what gets back to the schizophrenia that I opened up with and, and Michael Pollan say that we are a very strange creature that we have to figure out what our relationship to nature is, whether we are um, you know, romantic towards it, or whether we're stewards of it, or whether we're um, going to get paid back by it. But we have this strange sort of stance towards something that we are really, truly, uh, really a part of, and it's we are uh, embedded in a system just as everything else is. And what happens when you um? The, some of the worst things that might happen when you have the schizophrenic 
stance is that the hubris starts to creep in. And I think that there's, um, we can see this all around, like from the way that nature, um, is being abused, the way that we're, um, just we strip mine, the way we mountaintop removal, the way we pollute waters, the way we have a dead zone in the in the Gulf of Mexico uh, where fish can't even you know have enough oxygen, where the way we have eighth continent of plastic, and you know we we're just um, we if we're schizophrenic and we have a stance towards nature. We can just kind of chalk this up as, oh man, yeah, we need to do a better job and we need to really, you know, we, we need to get motivated to do something um, because it might have this effect on us sort of vaguely indirect um, versus if we didn't have, if we realized that we are just one system um, among many just interacting, then we realized that to destroy nature is actually an act of suicide and that we are destroying our health as a species, our health as, you know, individuals. Um, and it's, it's an act of, of, of self-annihilation. Um, and, and it has a very different tone. And to have this hubris that we have suddenly evolved into the sentient being that, um, no longer eats meat is to say, oh, we know better than nature. The nature which became as amazing and abundant as it is by the principle and the currency of eating. As an example of this type of thinking, I want to reference a documentary uh came out a few years ago uh, called Cowspiracy by a guy, Kip Anderson, I think. And um, I I really run the risk of 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 saying you know trying to argue against a straw man because it was really poorly done and many people have gone through and debunked you know a lot of his his thinking I mean a lot of his um, sort of mathematical <laughs> computations and you know he just skipped over a ton he also really uh, did the a very poor well, not a poor, very unethical kind of journalism where, you know, anytime you talking or interviewing something, you somebody you disagree with in the background, you put these pictures of animal suffering and or killing and, you know, this very emotional manipulation and um, exploitation, really. And so I, I run the risk of it being a straw man, but I'm, I bother to talk about it because I think enough people really follow this train of thought so that even if his facts don't really add up, still very many people follow that train of thought. And that's what I, I want to critique is that train of thought because he starts out with a very um, – a, a very good and very real critique of you know cows and feedlots, and you have these these ruminants on this you know totally bare area. They're probably usually outside, um, but they're this complete bare area you know where the pasture has long been way overgrazed and it's completely um, just obliviated. Um, and they're bringing in water. They bringing in, you know, all the grain and just the 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 net um, energy impact here is just utterly negative, um, and just 
can be considered an environmental atrocity. And the very, very real critique of that. Um, and originally, when I heard about it, I was very excited that someone was bringing to light some of, some of what's going on. Um, but it becomes very clear as you go on that this this guy was just uncomfortable with killing or eating an an, an animal, and so he makes this sort of real quick reference to you know a pasture, and and for them it's just a mathematical computation of sort of a some zero or net you know energy uh, carbon imprint or footprint whatnot, and no remotely even consideration of what it means to have an animal in her proper niche in, in the ecosystem and, you know, interrelating with the system. So, you know, she has no concept of, of how beautiful a cow is when she is in her right place. Um, so, you know, stick her on a perennial pasture and here we have the solar panel that is, you know, converting the sun's energy like, like nothing we've been able to do. And it's converting it into, you know, grass and plants. But of course that is unavailable where we can't access that kind of energy. So then you have this beautiful animal that has evolved and found its niche and it can take that, you know, grass, take the pasture and convert it to, um, well, first converts it to, to meat for its, you know, to provide you with meat or can provide you with extremely nutritious milk, all while ameliorating the soil from, um, you know, from it, the manure that gets put back in. And there's uh, thousands or millions of species of bacteria of animals that live within her, within her rumen. Um, that are essential to the systems and the health of ecosystems. And so this, you know, a, a cow can be in the system and not only feed you with extraordinary nutrition um, that is perfectly, um, you know, synchronized with our systems, but then she leaves the, you know, the pasture better than when, when she came. And, and something beautiful in that system gets thrown out because... Um, they have no concept of this, of this interrelatedness. And rather than seeing the beauty of a system like that that's been developed in nature in very efficiently over the millennium, the, you know, they, they see this answer in, uh, well, meat could possibly be ethical if we um, grow it in a Petri dish, you know, which on so many levels is absolutely absurd. Um, even from their point of view, I just can't imagine that could ever be, you know, a net positive uh, energy to make that in a Petri dish. But even if, you know, in this net, you know, in the zero-sum game of, of energy, if you made it, it's, you know, and even if you made it palatable where you could eat it, I mean, you... You're no longer participating in the systems of ecology and the nature around you. You've completely divorced yourself, and now you've tied yourself to this really mechanistic, industrial sort of of world of growing this technologically without you know without it being connected. Or if it's connected, it's all connected to oil, or it's connected to extraction, or it's connected to uh, machinery and technology, which has its place. But essentially, that's not really, you know, the foundation of who we are. And so, so that is supposedly the answer to meat. Whereas here we have 
these beautiful synergistic systems that not only provide us with the nutrition that's finely tuned to who we are, we've evolved along with them, um, but they leave, they leave the land better than when they came. And this is lost. And, and so uh, it saddens me that we have so many people who are sort of stuck in this mind frame of what it is to be um, environmentally aware. Because these, you know, it's one thing to be criticizing the extraction model and whatnot, but, but these people like Kip, who's, who's doing this documentary, are sort of uh, claimed to be the champions of, you know, to save the environment. That, you know, that was the claim is the, these cows are hurting the environment. But they're so divorced from reality. They're so disconnected because they do not eat and they do not have the currency of nature. Um, so they do not, you know, they're not participating. And so these champions of the environment want to get rid of a cow, which is one of, you know, the ruminants are one of the driving species that can convert solar energy and, and drive the system. And I just find it a shame that um, in, in the hubris of thinking that we know better than nature, um, even when we claim that we're, you know, championing her and trying to be, con you know, conservationists and whatnot, we do great harm. So if you'll allow me to push this economic metaphor just a little bit farther as eating as currency, you know, we, we think of investment and we think of that, you know, I don't have much capital, so I can't really invest and whatnot. But if suddenly you think of eating as currency, then we all have capital and we all have a capital that we're going to be um, spending or investing one way or another. And this is a matter of choice. So it's something that's going to be done no matter what. And it's just a matter of how much you're going to be conscious about it and, and how much obviously issues of, of whether you can afford it and availability and whatnot. Um, are going to play a part in this. But every day we choose, and every day um, we have no choice but to be investing in one system or another and participate in it. And so I would argue and <laughs> encourage people to, to, as often as they can within their means, to participate by eating and um, whatever systems that they find that are, are local are healthy or you know from farms and farmers that are doing very um, responsible and ethical and ecologically minded jobs that these are the systems that they need to participate in this is would be one way um, that will trump pretty much any other way of of being the environmentalist of of caring about the environment because this is something that you know is done every day this is sort of a quotidian investment that you can make a little tiny difference every day which is so much more valuable in my mind than going on a campaign or signing a petition you know that you get all excited about for a week and then you forget about but this is something that we can develop habitual um, regular ways of changing the world um, that we do what we can. All right. Well, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.